Welcome back, everybody. It is Encounter with God time here on The Breakfast Show. We've got some pretty radical verses of the Bible to look at this morning. Some spicy ones. Get ready for it before some we go radical there. radical ideology? Yes. Oh. Definitely radical oh, ideology. Oh, okay, okay. We're going to Matthew 5. Okay. Oh, all right. Look out. That's, that's some ideology in there. But hey, let's have another clue for the quiz, or question for the quiz. Speaking to the spiritual maturity of new believers, the writer of Hebrews said people need milk and not what? So 0491 I'll repeat that question again. Speaking to the maturity, the spiritual maturity of new believers, the writer of Hebrews said that the people... These people, they need milk rather than something else. 0491-064-669 is the number to call or text if you know the answer to that one. If you do, you will go into the draw to win, firstly, a journal called The Great Prophetic Books of Daniel and Revelation. It's like half of like, you know, half the page is like Bible verses, and the other half of the page is journal that you can write in and write notes in, which is super amazing. And then we will give you Understanding Daniel and Revelation by Mark Finley, either in the audio edition or in the book of dish edition, essentially enabling to you to be your own theologian of the books of Daniel and Revelation. If you would like that, 0491-064-669 is the number to call or text. And again, one more time, speaking to the spiritual maturity of new believers, the writer of Hebrews said that people need milk rather than something else. What is that something else? What is that something else? If you know the answer, let us know. All right, coming through on the text messages, this is what you had to say about the show, the first half of the show. Uh, True grit, high levels of competition of body and mind um, unfortunately, sports can take you away from God. Mm. It's all about chasing the big bucks. Mm. Uh, nothing positive in the Bible about sports besides the reaching the end of the race. Most run for a crown of glory and most run for a crown of glory and praise from men. God wants us to run the race of life for a crown that never fades, mm. and you don't have to come first, even when you come last, you still win. The race is not against others, but against yourself. Mm. So this is one of those cases where everybody gets a prize. Mm. You run the race of life and you run it with God, everyone gets a prize. And I loved his point too, because who is the race against? Self. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's where the competition is. You want to have, a, you want to have some stiff competition? Try that one. Mm-hmm. That one will uh, challenge you every single time. Mm. Okay, famine, it's planned by the New World Order. No better way to take control of a population that is hungry. Consider how often despot leaders have killed millions of their own people in our century. That's a fact right there. That certainly has happened. Uh, The Word of God, talk, uh, and and you find that, of course, in the socialist countries because socialism always leads to, uh, you know, control and, Mm. anyway. Also, a lack. The, the, yes. the means of production are yes. seized and then managed poorly and then people don't have stuff. That's how it usually goes down. Not saying that capitalism is perfect. Mm-hmm. By any stretch of the imagination, these are both human systems. Mm. And uh, as human systems, they are both flawed. But if you want to see where the millions of people have died in the last you know, 100 years or so, then so- socialism is where it has happened. Mm. Anyway, uh, moving on from here, the Word of God talks about famine in the last days. We are now seeing with our own eyes the event in many countries in the world. It's going to get worse. Good time to get to know your Saviour, our Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, once again, this is one of the signs of the times. 
one of those things where, you know, some people have come to me over the last 20 years or so and like, yeah, famine's actually getting less worse more than war. You know, it's, it's easing off. Isn't that kind of going against the sign of the times? I'm like, no. Put it on a chart over the hundred years and then, over the last hundred years and then compare it with the rest of the history of the world previous to that. Mm. And you might see a bit of leveling off, even a little bit going backwards. But the story hasn't been finished yet. Mm. Correct. So interesting things to take into consideration. Then we have this one here. Uh, good morning and blessings. It's raining here in Canberra. Uh, welcome from Cam- Welcome to our listeners in Canberra. It's so refreshing being reminded of God's works and his covenant to us. Um, then be not of this world, but look to the heavens daily and see God's heavenly signs. The rainbow, the Sabbath, the sanctuary, mm. Genesis 9.16, the rainbow shall be in the cloud and I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. Pick up your cross daily. Have a great blessed day uh, of, from Wayne. Mm. Um, and Wayne also then sent a follow-up message to say that while he was praising God and for the blessing of the rain, he didn't want to uh, disrespect, obviously, those who recently suffered trauma from a little bit too much rain when we had some pretty severe flooding. Mm. Suzanne says, love the freezer stocking tips. Uh, thanks for that. Of course. And then we have this one. Uh, what was the name of the last song played? I love it. Caitlin, the answer. Uh, uh, oh, Sorry, that was from Caitlin. Okay, so the answer to that one is The Lord is My Shepherd by Brian Moss and Katie Hudson. Mm. Okay, so that's what uh, you had to say for the first half of the show. We would love to hear what you've got to say about the Bible study. And also, don't forget, we enjoy getting your questions for Question of the Day. Always fascinating to see what you guys come up with and send through. Mm -hmm. Uh, So send those through. There is yet no question that has been sent through that I'm aware of that has not been Answered. That's right. And and Lyle wants to answer them. So make them Bible as, questions. as difficult as possible. Sorry, what'd you say? Bible questions. Oh, oh. Okay. Yeah. There's yeah. like some questions I can't answer. Well, we can't answer. I, I thought you just said you've answered every single question. Every single Bible question that has come in for question oh, of the day. Okay. We have you know, oh, okay. Bible nobody has yet, question. Nobody okay. has yet sent us a question for question of the day that we have not answered because <laughs> nobody has Everybody gets it and has sent us Bible questions. Okay. There's no one who sent you any wild or whack kind of stuff? Because I well, have some pretty seen wild that. questions coming from time to time. Mm-hmm. But, but usually the only, the only The only really nutty question is the question you don't ask oh. when it comes to the Bible. Mm. That's the only really nutty one. No, actually, I, I disagree with you. Well, no, I kind of agree with you. I would say this. The, uh, you know how people say there's no such thing as a dumb question? There is such thing as a dumb question. It's a question that you ask when you don't care about the answer. So that, but that's you being dumb, not the question being dumb. So ask us questions and listen to the answer. Yeah, that's it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right. I told you we would read some spicy verses this morning. Let's, Let's go, go to Matthew chapter 5. This is Jesus. Uh, it's kind of like his manifesto. Mm-hmm. This is where he preaches the Sermon on the Mount. This is where he's like, okay, the kingdom of God, this is what it looks like. Mm. I love it when we when you call it a manifesto. What's wrong with that? Because it's just like that. I feel like that word has such negative connotations. And it's like Jesus being truly radical here. It's, it's, it read is, this verse and see read, if it's not radical. Read some pretty radical like, stuff. You know, and so often people talk about, and this is the bizarre thing, you know. I, you know, when I do door knocking in the community and whatnot, 
I find a lot of people who are anti-religion. Mm-hmm. But when I raise the subject of Jesus Christ, I was like, well, you know, do you have any particular objections to Jesus? No, no, no. Jesus did a lot of good things. Said a lot of good things. I like Jesus. Mm-hmm. They just like don't like organized religion. Mm. And then if you ask them, you know, about you know, if, if they have a bit of a, a bit of biblical knowledge, the Sermon on the Mount is often the place where they would typically go to, mm. where you have a great description of, you know, what Jesus actually yeah. stood for—a government of love. That's right. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You know, they'll inherit the earth. The Lord's prayer, like all this, you know. Yeah, some great stuff here. You know, love your enemies, do good to those that hate you, uh, pray for those that despitefully use you and persecute you. Mm. you now, there's some there's some great passages here about loving each other, but there's also some really radical stuff in here. Mm. And it's like, did you did you skip over this? I mean, a lot of people, if you said to this to them today, they would say, you're being so judgmental mm. because you're talking about sin. <laughs> All right, Matthew 5, verse 29. Matthew 5 and verse 29, the Bible says, So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Okay, so a uh, pretty judgmental kind of a passage there, wouldn't you mm. think? Yep. What's Jesus talking about here? Does, is Jesus saying that we should go around maiming ourselves so that we can't sin? Look, probably not. Okay, God, it's a relief. God, God created us yes. and he knows that our eyes are, you know, Useful. <laughs> I think uh, I love how it even uses like it's like if if your eye causes you to sin, even your good eye, I think it all causes you to lust. I think ultimately what's being shared here is something that you can consider good in your life, but if it leads you further away from God, then ultimately it's not good, and you should do your best to not include that thing in your life. You're listening to Faith FM. Positively different radio. Okay, so we've got another uh, text message here about country living. Those who live in the cities will, in the future, go through very difficult time due to supply. Do we do this one already? Due to supply lines of food, power, water, and most conveniences. The labor unions will make it very difficult in these last days. City was an invention of Cain and his sons. It wasn't God's intention for his people to live in cities. If you can, you should move to the country. If you can, you should move to the country. Really good text message right there and very observant. Do you know what the name of the first city was? What? Enoch. Ah. Why? Because that was the name of Cain's son. Ah. Now, there's another Enoch in the Bible that you are all thinking of. Yeah. Which is the famous Enoch, which was the one who walked with God and it was translated to heaven without ever seeing death. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, but before he was born, there was an Enoch that was born to Cain. And Genesis 4, verse 17, the Bible says, Cain knew his wife, she conceived, and bore Enoch, and he built a city. Mm. And he called it Enoch, Enoch. after his son. Uh-huh. So the very first city was built by Cain. In fact, if you type city into the Bible, you're going to find the very first reference to the uh, to a city is the city that Cain built. You're going to find the next uh, reference to a city is the city that Nimrod built. You're going to find the next reference to a city, uh, the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. You're going to so oh, the one that Nimrod built, of course, is Babylon. So it goes basically Cain city, um, Babylon, mm-hmm. Sodom and Gomorrah in this order, um, and then you are going to come down to yeah, you're going to come down to cities in in Syria and Egypt and so forth. Oh no no no, sorry, the next one, the fourth one, the fourth one in line is. No, 
I got them out of order. Come okay, on. Okay, so it goes the city that Cain built, mm-hmm. followed by Babylon, mm-hmm. followed by the city that Abraham was told to leave, uh. Ur, followed by Sodom and Gomorrah, uh-huh. followed by the other cities of Syria and Egypt and so forth. Yeah. And I it guess doesn't give really a good rap that's right. to cities. That's these, right. are, these are not positives. The thought is like, oh, so is God in any of these settings encouraging people to live there and spend time there? The answer is absolutely no. <laughs> and what's interesting is that three of these cities all get a mention in the New Testament. One of them is a theme from one end of the New Testament from one end of the Bible to the other, which is Babylon. Mm. Ur is mentioned in the New Testament. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah is mentioned in the New Testament mm-hmm. as being symbolic of what the world is like at the end of time, just before the return of Jesus Christ. Uh, then you've got uh, Cain. Cain's city is not mentioned, but Cain is certainly mentioned in the New Testament mm-hmm. as an example of what humanity will be like just before the return of Christ. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you start to put all this together, and it's not really a very positive spin. The implication here is that you will be much happier and all research universally tells us you are going to be happier living in the country. Mm. Human beings were not designed to live in very close proximity to everybody else. Mm. We were designed to live amongst the things that God created. Wow. Yeah, that's what's going to be best for us. Okay. Uh, I think we're up to date now. Where did we go to? We were in Matthew chapter 5. Let's read, let's read verse 30. In verse 30, the Bible says, And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for the whole body to be thrown into hell. Okay. So uh, doesn't the Bible just say, well, if you've got a problem with temptation, just pray about it? Hmm? Doesn't the Bible say if you've got a problem with temptation, just 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 pray about it? Uh, no, it's saying like cut, start cutting body pieces off to enable yourself not to do it. All right. So if uh, you know, and I think that you know, it's very clear Jesus is not calling us to harm our bodies mm-hmm. physically. Yes, not at all, not even close. But he is calling us to control our minds and therefore our bodies, no matter the cost, mm-hmm. and to actively get rid of things that cause us to sin. Yes. And so this is one of the this is one of the great challenges that I find with Christianity, particularly modern Christianity, because the thought is kind of out there. It's just like just love Jesus. Just have Jesus in your life. Mm-hmm. And if there is any effort whatsoever at all involved in your Christianity, then your Christianity is works based and therefore wrong. Mm. You know, if you go back to the dark ages you have the other extreme, and you go to some versions of Christianity today, you have the other extreme where it's all about works. Yeah. You do this, you do that, you do the other, you get saved. Mm. And I think people misinterpret the Protestant Reformation as, oh, the just shall live by faith. They're like, oh, now we just need to have faith. And what does it mean to have faith? Oh, well, I just have to believe. And then what, what, what does it mean to believe? And they reduce belief down to just this idea of intellectually, I you know, acknowledging that God exists and that you say, oh, and I love him because he's in my heart. But what this is saying is what we see clearly from the Bible is this idea that faith uh, leads to obedience. That's right. And that, okay, faith leads to obedience. So where does faith come from? Well, it comes from belief. And this is where people, I think, get tripped up because 
the, the, the misconception is that faith then is essentially, if we practice faith, then yes. we're working. That's like, that's the misconception. If we, it is. If we have faith. I've actually had people say, to that, say that to me. If you believe in salvation by faith, that is salvation by works because faith is a work. That's right. And so then their conclusion is like, if I have faith, then God gave it to me, which is something that I also believe. But then they say, if I don't have faith and I sin, then God didn't enable me to have faith and he ordained that I should sin. But then you just read the Bible and it's yeah, like God, wow. where God says, I, I've had plenty of people say this to me, plenty of Christians who are trying to be well-meaning, who believe that they are right with God and deep in their faith. And they're like, yeah, I'm just going through a season of rebellion right now. And I feel far from God. And, you know, I don't know why he's ordained this for my life. And I'm like, what? Like God ordaining sin in your life? And they're like, yeah, well, like if he didn't ordain this sin, then why am I doing it? And if God wanted to stop me sinning, well, then he just would. And I'm like, this is what happens when you have a religion that does away with the power of choice. That's right. That's exactly what it is. It's really terrifying stuff. Whereas what we actually see in the Bible is that faith isn't a work, but it's a result of a decision to be close to Christ. Yes. When we say, okay, I want to have a relationship with Jesus. He's the one that does the work in our heart that enables faith that leads to obedience. And this is what we realize. It's like, you know, so we no longer we need to get scared of that conversation of like, oh, am I doing the things that God is calling me to do? Oh, but if I do them, then I'm working and and work isn't faith. Work is, you know, works. And uh, it's just like, hey, be close to Jesus in a true sense and he will enable you to do his works. He's the one who wants to do that work in your heart. He knows that you can't do it. He knows that you're terrible. He knows, he knows us. And he's like, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it in you. Praise yes. God. It's Amen. Like, how good. All right. So let's look at a, a couple of passages here. Let's first go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Let's go to 1 Ooh. Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 to 27. 1 Corinthians, is this another spicy verse? Yeah, it's up there, but not quite. Chapter like, 9. Not quite as full on as the last one. Verses 4 to verses 7. No, chapter 9, verses 24 to ah, 27. 24 to 27. Okay. The Bible says this, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with a purpose in every step. I am not shadow boxing or beating the wind. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Interesting. True true grit right there. Some true grit coming through right there. This really does go through with with what you were talking about earlier in your story. And when you look at this passage here, the question that goes through my mind is this. Is this Is this a case of somebody who has come to Christ and says, okay, Christ... It's all about Christ. Mm-hmm. Therefore, I have now given my life to Christ. My part is done. It's all up to him. I will sit back and uh, whatever happens in my life is what happens in my life. How I live my life is how I live my life. There is no striving. There is no effort in being a Christian. Is Paul indicating there will be no effort in being a Christian here? I think there's a line here that completely does away with that concept. Yes. In my Bible, it says, so run to win. Yes. So run to win. In my translation, it says strive. Mm. Strive. 
Wow. And so that indicates effort. Mm. So is this salvation by works? How does this actually fit in? Why does Paul speak so clearly about putting effort into your Christian experience? Love to hear from you guys. Send your thoughts through. Uh, This is a really deep topic. I'd love to share what you've got to say on this particular subject. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. We're about to jump back into our Bible study. Um, Before we do, we've uh, just very quickly... Last question for the quiz, and then we've got uh, a caller on the line. Okay. Which of the following books appears first in the Bible? Ecclesiastes, the Song of Solomon, or Daniel? 0491-064-669. This is in terms of order. Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, or Daniel? Which one comes first? 0491-064-669. And again, that prize for this morning, or for this week, the great prophetic books of Daniel and Revelation, as well as Understanding Daniel and Revelation, which is a Bible commentary. You'll be able to do get in and become your own theologian. It's going to be amazing. Fantastic stuff. Okay. Uh, joining us on the phone this morning, one of our listeners, Bruce, welcome to the show. Well. Yeah, yeah, it's just a comment I'm making about striving. Yes. And um, the striving is striving to be, to walk in the spirit and not walk in the carnal nature. Mm. And Jesus said, you know, about yoking up with him. And um, if we're not yoked up with Jesus, we're yoked up with the devil. And the, and the difference is the devil's dragging us along. You know, we don't want to go, but he's dragging us. Whereas Jesus, when we yoked up with him, he's encouraging us, pulling along, taking most of the weight, you know, mm. and just encourage us to come along and follow him. It's a really interesting symbol, that symbol of a yoke and being yoked with Jesus, because it does not indicate a religion where there is no effort. Yep. It's a, it's, a, it's a religion where we're actually, you know, we're actively doing something, but Jesus is doing it with us. Jesus is taking the heavy load for us. Jesus is the one who is guiding us. He's, you know, not trying to destroy us like Satan is. Well, when you look at Jesus, when he was on this earth, he was yoked up with the Father and he was representing the Father to the world. You know, mm. that was his job. And this is our job to represent Jesus to the world, you know. And it's Jesus through us. We're just, like I say, yoked up. We're, and we're doing as he empowers us to do what his will is, what we want to do. And the more we do it, the more we want to do it. Mm, mm. Thank you, Bruce. Really appreciate your thoughts. Thank you for joining us here on The Breakfast Show this morning. And uh, if you're listening in, you'd like to have a have your say on this particular one because it can be a little bit controversial in mm. today's culture in Christianity to talk about things, you know, words like striving mm. and or, or being yoked up. You know, the word yoke, that's, that's something that indicates work. Work. Yeah. Which is pretty much a dirty word. Okay, Second <laughs> Peter chapter three and verse fourteen. Second Peter three and verse fourteen. I'm going to re- read a few more verses here, and then we're going to look at uh, where the real battle is fought. So, Second Peter chapter three and verse fourteen. Second Peter chapter three and verse fourteen. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living. Uh-oh. Second Peter three verse fourteen. Yeah. Did you read that word though? Make yeah. every what? Every effort. Oh. Anyway, keep going. To be found living peaceable lives. 
that are pure and blameless in his sight. Go back to First Peter chapter 1 and verse 10. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 10, the Bible says, This salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. Mm, that's not the one I was looking for. It's not? Is it Second Peter one verse ten? Yeah, try Second Peter one verse ten. Okay, in Second Peter chapter one and verse ten, the Bible says, "So, dear brothers and sisters, oh, here we go. Yeah, here we go. Work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things, and you will never fall away." My translation says, "Be diligent." Mm. So these are some of the words that we've read here. We've read the word fight. We've read the word strive. We've read the word diligence. We've read the uh, we've read the word effort. We've read the word work, which indicates that Christianity is not just you know you you don't just you know jump on the train and watch life go by and mm. be carried along. No, Christianity is active, and it is you know and, and race. We read about the race. Mm. And we read about training for the race and bringing our body into subjection and, you know, preparing to run the race of life as an athlete prepares. And you think about, you know, when you were a professional athlete, how much time you would spend in preparing your body for the race. Yeah. We how, had, many, how many races would you race in a year? So when I got to a level where I was in the world championship, I was doing 10 races a year. Okay, so for 10 races a year, and for the rest of that time, what would you be doing? Training. Training. <laughs> Working out, eating healthy, uh, going to the gym, and, like, just sweating. Yes. Like, that That was the life. Like, you know, when, when you get on to, because I'm in the Junior World Championship, when you get into the, the fully-fledged World Championship, so I was under-21s, above that, then it's, you know, maybe 18 races a year. But that's it, like 18 weekends a year. That's your job. Like yep. that's that's your when the investment pays off. But the rest of the time, it's a full time job of just preparing for those eighteen weekends. Okay, so what we've got to understand then is where does the effort come in? And this is the problem, because so often as Christians, we will read passages like this, and it's like, okay, that's it. I'm going to put in some effort. You know, the devil's going around as a roaring lion. I'll go and take him on. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fight hard, and I'm going to make myself better, and I'm gonna become gooder, and I'm going to go <laughs> gooder, yeah, gooder, and I'm going to go and take Satan on because he's going around like a warring lion. So yeah, bring it, and we fail every mm-hmm. single time. Mm. And the reason for that is that we actually miss where the battle is because it is a battle. There's no question about it. The Christian life is a battle and a march. In fact, um, there's a really interesting illustration here. I'll read this one to you. The church of God can, may be fitly compared to an army. The life of every soldier is one of toil, hardship and danger. On every hand are vigilant foes led on mm. by the prince of the power of darkness who never slumbers and never deserts his post. Whenever a Christian is off his guard, this powerful adversary makes a sudden and violent attack. Unless the members of the church are active and vigilant, they will be overcome by his devices. Mm. What if half the soldiers in an army were idling or asleep when ordered to be on duty? Mm. The result would be defeat, captivity or death. Should any escape from the hands of the enemy, would they be found worthy of a reward? No. They would speedily receive the sentence of death. And is the church of Christ careless or unfaithful? Far more, far more important consequences are involved. Sorry, and if the church of Christ is careless 
or unfaithful, far more important consequences are involved. A sleeping army of Christian soldiers. What could be more terrible? What advance could be made against the world who are under the control of the Prince of Darkness? Those who stand back indifferently in the day of battle as though they had no interest and felt no responsibility as to the issue of the contest might better change their course or leave the ranks at once. Mm. Pretty strong statement there. That was uh, from a book called uh, uh, Testimonies, Volume 5, by Ellen White. And... uh, yeah, I think it's something that we should all bear in mind. I think it's a great illustration there, you know, an, an army. What's what's involved in being in the army? There's effort involved in being in the army. <laughs> effort, discipline, risk. Yes. Like all of the above. Mm. And if that army is asleep or indifferent or just cruising along and letting life take them wherever life takes them, what's mm. the result? The result is that they are destroyed. And defeated, yeah. And we're up against Satan here. Mm. Okay, so there is effort involved, but where is the battle? Mm. If we fight the battle in the wrong place, then we will fail. Here is where the battle is. The battle is over surrender of self mm. because self never wants to be surrendered. Once we are surrendered to God, then God can fight the battle within us, but God will never force us to be surrendered to him. Mm. That is a day-by-day, moment-by-moment decision for us to be surrendered to Jesus Christ. That's where the battle is, and once that battle has been fought, then Christ can work in us to win the other battles. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. As Lawson brings you answers for the quiz questions. All right, number one, the answer was Luke. Then it was, you know, Ithamar was the son of Aaron. Uh, after being pulled out of the reeds, Moses was nursed by his own mother. Then it says, speaking to spiritual maturity for new believers, the writer of Hebrews said that people need milk and not strong food or strong, strong meat. And then finally, which of the following books does not appear in, uh, sorry, which of the following books appears first in the Bible? It was Ecclesiastes. But right now it is time for Question of the Day. All right, Lyle, our question of the day today is simply this. In Malachi, it says that Esau was hated. What is the definition of hate here? And from the story of or life of Esau, uh, does this hate emanate? What was the reason for this hate and how is it justified? That comes in from Caitlin. Okay, really good question, Caitlin. Uh, Malachi chapter 1 and verse 3, the Bible says, um, The Lord said unto you, Ask, how have you loved us? Was not Esau, Jacob's brother, the Lord says, Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated, and I have turned his mountains into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. That's Malachi 1 and verse 3. That passage, of course, is repeated again by Paul in Romans chapter 9, verse 10 to 13, where Paul takes up this subject. Okay, so the first thing that we're going to notice here is that the word Esau is used here not in reference to an individual. It's used in reference to the Edomites. Mm. This is very common. Uh, throughout the Bible, you'll find that nations are often referenced in or spoken of in reference to their founder. So, for instance, the Bible talking will we'll talk about things that take place, you know, in Judah, 
well, Judah was an individual, but it, we know that it's not talking about the individual Judah. We're talking about it's talking about the nation Judah. The Bible will talk about Israel. Israel was an individual, but when the Bible talks about Israel, we look at the context and we see each time that the context is not talking about the individual Israel, whose other name was Jacob, but talking about uh, the descendants of Israel, the nation of Israel. And so this is talking about the nation or the descendants of Esau that live in the land of Edom and are known as the Edomites and whose land God uh, has made into a pretty much a desolate wasteland. You can go and visit it today. You find cities like Petra there, and it is a very remote and desolate kind of a place. So this is the first thing that we need to take into consideration. The second thing is here, taking that into consideration helps us to understand, you know, because there's nothing really in the story of Esau that would cause God to hate Esau. He does a few bad things for sure, but nothing like as bad as some of the great heroes of the Bible have done. Mm. And so why would God hate Esau? No, God is hating the descendants of Esau, the nation of Edom. But why is God hating? And so this is interesting because if you go to Matthew chapter 5, where we were just reading from in our Bible study this morning, the Bible says, you know, the God said of old times, you know, thou shalt not kill. Mm. And Jesus goes on to say, but I say unto you, thou shalt not hate. Mm. And so God is very, very clear about not hating. And yet you go over to Luke, I believe it's in Luke chapter 14, where the Bible says, um, if anybody comes after me and does not hate his father and mother and brother and sister, he can have no part with me. Mm. What does that actually mean? Uh, is God? Is Jesus contradicting himself right here? And one of the challenges that we've got is, of course, we are translating uh, you know, things from an old language into a modern English language. We're translating them from an older culture into a more modern culture. And so we look for other passages of the Bible to give us some context for this. And uh, Matthew's version gives us some clearer context. Let's just read it here. It says, because it explains exactly what God means, he says, For I came to set a man at variance, this is uh, Matthew 10, verse 35, at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's foes shall be those of his own household. And he that loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he that loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And so what you've got here is rather than the very strong word hate, that in today's language and in today's culture carries with it a whole uh, slew of negative connotations, a better word would be to use the word prefer uh, and spin it to the positive. That's how we would write it today. And so what Jesus is saying is, look, if you don't prefer me above mother, above father, above son, daughter, family members, etc., 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 and if you're not prepared to put me first, even when all of them turn against uh, you, then you're not worthy of me. In other words, I have to be 100%, you know, first and foremost above everyone and everything else in your life. Uh, because you place anything else there and you have made that thing or that person God. Whatever is greatest in your life is what is God in your life. And Jesus says, look, there can be only one. It's, it's, it's really that simple. And so this is the context. And so we come back to the Edomites. Has God? Does God prefer the descendants of Israel over the descendants of Esau? Yes, he does because of their obedience to him 
uh, and their preserve, preserving of the word of God, whereas the Edomites went into idolatry and never came back out again. There's a short answer to a fairly big question. And, of course, we like to remind you guys, if you would like to study the Bible for yourself, uh, correspondence, online, whatever it might be, small groups, one-on-one, we can arrange that for you. Just shoot us a message, send us a call, and we'll make it happen. Don't forget as you go through this day to talk faith, to live faith, to act faith, and you will grow strong in Jesus Christ. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.